What are you doing to him? Okay. Ooh, okay. Yeah.
Well, good morning. It is good to see everyone. It's time to get started. I'm getting this a little late. I apologize, but we're glad you're here. Why don't you stand up and move around and make sure everyone in here is greeted. We're really glad you're here today. Do I? Okay. You're close. All right. All right, everybody. All right, you can be seated. Betty Butler's here so we can get started. That's what we were waiting on. And, uh, <laughs> it is good to see all of you. We're really glad you're here. I know most time I tell you to look inside your worship guide, but today I want to ask you to look on the very back. Um, on the very back, you'll notice there, there's information about a Wednesday night meal that we're starting back, something we've been trying to do for a long time. It just never came together. And so the first Wednesday of Jan or February, we're going to have a meal in this room from 515 to 615. And we'll eat together, fellowship, and then go to RAs, GAs, all the stuff that the children are going through, the students are going to do their thing, and then we'll go to our discipleship university and choir and all those other things will be taking place. But from 5.15 to 6.15, we're going to eat together, fellowship together, and just get to know each other. I grew up with Wednesday night meals. It was always a fun time, and it's just easier for you. It'd be $5 a person. No more than $20 for family, okay? You can't feed your family for 20 bucks and get good food nowadays. Um, I've told you all the, the prices of the fast food restaurants. I won't do that again today. But so please sign up for that. You'll see there's a sign up on it and, and when you need to sign up and what the latest time you need to sign up. Each week, we'll have the menu there right now. The branches will be cooking two times during the month. Julie Davis will be cooking one of those times. And then we're going for a little while until we can find a fourth Wednesday night cook. Um, we're going to be doing like potluck. So the second week of February, we're going to ask you to bring soups and we'll just have soup and, and, and all the fixings with that. We'll talk more about it and just kind of eat that together and then go and do it. So we're looking forward, but we'll need some volunteers. Um, we're asking each Sunday school class to sign up to help. We hope that of all the Sunday school classes that can get involved, no one has to do it more than maybe once every eight weeks or so. What that would involve is having about four or five people who would help put up the tables and chairs in this room and vacuum real quick. And then about three people inside the kitchen 
who can help wash and the dishes that need to be washed. And also, we have to clean the kitchen according to the, the specs for the daycare for, their, for the health department. So we'd have to mop and do some of those things. And so we just need those people to do that. If you want to do it every single week, um, I promise you, if you want to wash dishes every week, we'll put you to work. And we would love to have you. But, but that's a great time that we, we have coming ahead of us. There are some other things you can sign up for, and, um, and I hope that you'll do it. Ladies, next week, um, we're having not next week, Kelly Minter is coming to our church for a women's conference. Many of you have taken her class, but she's going to be here when? May 17th, and, and, the next, and so when she's coming, we're going to begin to sell tickets. Um, the cost of tickets go to provide for the speaker and all the things we'll be doing, but we'll begin to sell those next week, so just pay attention to that. We're glad you're here. Um, somewhere, Bill and Susan McClanahan, where are they? Um, right over here. Bill and Susie are back. I told them in the first service to um, bring that weather back to Washington with them, but we're glad they're here. We miss you. We're so glad that you're here, and um, so Y'all just show your, make sure you know we're here and go by and see them at the end of the service. Um, pull Susie's mask down and breathe in her face real good, okay? Um, just, I said that because of a smart, snarky comment she made in the first service. Anyway, I'm going to get myself out of trouble. At least I'm going to try to. We're glad you're here. We really are. Welcome to First Baptist. On the, on the, on the um, screen and also on the back, there's a QR code that you can scan if you're a guest and want more information about our church, we can get that to you. Um, thank you. Let's pray together. Would you join me? Father, we praise you. We thank you that we can call you Father. We thank you that you're our Savior. We bless your name. We praise you and worship you. We get to do this today. We know that it's a privilege to be able to come publicly and worship you without fear. And we give you glory and we ask, Lord, that today... Just for the next few moments, you'll let us put aside all the things that worry us, all the things that are causing us stress, that we would just, for this moment, stress not on anything but on you. Turn our attention toward you. From the reading of your word, to the singing, to the preaching, and even to the giving. Giving of our lives and giving of ourselves and giving of our finances, we want to give it all to you. Bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul, come and read our scripture. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Matthew, beginning in chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the, one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Thank you, Paul. Let's stay in church. Let's continue to worship. We want to worship and sing the word this morning. For God so loved the world.
this is still our message today of who Christ is and what he came and what he did. And for us to have open hands to whatever it is that God has called us to do, to be available to him, no matter what that is. So let's be faithful. Let's be faithful in the body of Christ to be and to do what God has called us to do.
sing that song uh, I just had to pick up my Bible and read again 1 Samuel where Samuel's ministering to the Lord and the Bible says he's, he's young at this time he's, he's sleeping in the temple where the ark is and God called Samuel he said here I am and Samuel <laughs> Samuel ran to Eli and he said here I am, you call me, but he said, I didn't call you, go lay down. And all of us as parents know what that's like. And the Lord called him again, he said, Samuel. And Samuel said, here I am, you called me to Eli. But he said, I didn't call you, son, go lay down. Then the third time, it says in verse 7, Samuel didn't know yet, yet know the Lord. He didn't know the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he rose, and he went to Eli. He said, Here I am, for you called me. And Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy, and he said, You go lie down. If he calls you again, you say, Speak, Lord, for your servant ears. So Samuel, the young boy, goes back, and he lays down in the place. And the third time, the Lord came, and he stood, and he called. And he said, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant ears. It's a lot like what we're just saying. Here I am. I'm, I'm available. I wonder if you would just bow your heads and let's continue that thought. Here I am, Lord. It may be like Samuel. You could say to the Lord, even now speak. We're about to read his word, his inspired word. We're, the words I'll read to you in just a moment come straight from God. It's as if God's reading to you in my voice in just a moment, not my sermon, but the text I read. Would you say, here I am, Lord, speak. There's so many other things that are weighing on us, I know that, but nothing's more important right now than and our hearing from God. Here I am, Lord, speak. Father, I thank you that you do speak. You speak through your word. You, you speak to us even through the song of creation. It declares your praise. You speak to us through music. and You speak to us through your spirit, through the body of Christ. But we know that you primarily and almost always speak to us through your word. 
And so as we read in just a moment, we ask that you'd speak to us. And I, just as I have asked everyone in this room, I come before you and, and on behalf of them, I just say, speak, Lord, we're listening. What is it you want us to do today? Speak. You know the needs we have here. I lift up Miss Shirley Weems and, and she buried her husband of 50 years yesterday. I lift Joe to you that he would continue to be healed. I pray for Frank as he battles with cancer. I pray for, pray for Leon as he battles with cancer. I pray for Rob as he has a hip replaced tomorrow, this week. I thank you that Linda did so well with her knee and we give you praise for that and that she's back today. God, we thank you for the things you do in our life. You do more than we could ever imagine. And sometimes we, we have to admit we, we don't see you work and, and we, we get frustrated. Forgive us, Lord. Help us to trust you. Help us to trust in all that you do. Bless us now as we read your word. Bless the preaching of your word, the listening to your word, even as we'll see in a moment. Give us wisdom to hear it. Give me wisdom to preach it and change our lives, we pray. Amen. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to wrap up Colossians 1 today and go straight to Colossians 2 next week. And we're hitting, really, just about to hit the body of the, of, of the letter. So far, we're still in the introduction to it. It's been a marvelous introduction. But I want to read verse 24, which is our text from last week. And then we'll read verses 25 through 29. I think 25 through 29 will be what's on the screen. But follow along in your Bibles. And if you can, would you stand and honor the reading and the preaching of God's Word? They did that in the Old Testament. When, when people would come and read the Word before they had preached, they would stand in honor of that. So that's why we do it. He says in verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of this body, that is the church, of which, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them, to the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much. You can be seated. In the 1600s, there was a man. He, he, he died at a very early age, but his wisdom was unbelievable. His name was Henry Skugel, S-C-O-U-G-A-L, Henry Skugel. And he wrote a little book that, that eventually made its way to Wesley. And John Wesley read the book and was changed by it, and he gave it to his friend Whitfield. Whitfield read the book and later said he never went anywhere without a copy of that book on his person. 
But this is what Whitfield said after he read the book. He said, he said, after reading the book, I knew I must be born again or be damned. He said, I never knew what true religion was until I read that book. Now, that little book is not an easy read. I'll just tell you, it's 1600s English and it's, it's difficult. But the reason I draw your attention to it is the title. Haven't given it to you yet, but the title may be the best definition that I've ever heard of salvation. The title is The Life of God in the Soul of Man. The Life of God in the Soul of Man. That's salvation. That's what it is to be a follower of Jesus. The life of God comes inside of us and begins to live through us, or as we'll read in just a moment, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Last week, we looked at verse 24, and Paul continues where he leaves off. He is disconnected. He suffered for the sake of Christ's body, the church. In our text, we'll find him. I forgot to bring him. I had him in the first service. But we'll find what Douglas Moo compares to a set of Russian dolls. Keith, I had it. Dawn, I used them in the first service. Dawn, let me borrow hers. Um, and if you remember the Russian dolls, there's just one doll. But when you pull the top off, there's another one inside of it. And you pull the top off of it, and there's a series of dolls getting smaller each one. And Moo said, the clauses in our text are like those Russian dolls. You just kept getting deeper and deeper and deeper into the text. Every time you come to one, there, there's another one that's waiting on us. And, and so we, we understand that God, God is behind everything that we know as salvation. And what I want you to see this morning is, is just how God-centered our salvation is. When I say that, it doesn't mean that there aren't things we're supposed to do. But we need to realize that that everything about our salvation, even the faith that we place in God, even the conviction that we have of our sin, all of those things behind it is the Spirit working inside of us, convicting us, drawing us, coming to the place that we become a believer. And when we receive Him, He comes inside of us and changes us totally. He's moving. He's moving in our lives. He's moving in this world. His kingdom is advancing. It's true. We don't always see it. Sometimes we wonder, is this kingdom even here when we look at the news? But, but his kingdom is, and it's advancing, and we'll see that more in the next couple of weeks. But, but it's been advancing since creation. God's moving towards something. But here's the beauty. God uses us. He uses people to accomplish his task. Specifically in our text, we see, first of all, God's man. Look at God's man. Now, I'm just saying God's man because it's a man who's writing it and it's a man who's talking about it. God also uses ladies. I understand that. But in this particular text, I want you to see God's man. Look at verse 25. The church, he says in verse 24, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given me to you, for you, to make the word fully known. Paul is an apostle. He's unlike the other apostles. He was not one of the 12 disciples. 
He's unlike Matthias. He wasn't chosen. Matthias walked with Jesus on the earth. But Paul is one, he says in, in another verse, he said, I'm, I'm abnormally born. He, he, came, he came to Christ after the resurrection. But the Bible teaches us that, that when Paul was saved, he goes into the wilderness where Jesus teaches him. He saw things and heard things and learned things that, that qualified him to be an apostle. He, he's an apostle. He's a preacher. He's a teacher. He's a missionary. He's an evangelist. He is all of that. But get this, Paul doesn't call himself to this work. Paul would not have suffered the way he suffered, as we saw last week, as we'll see again next week. Paul wouldn't suffer the way he suffered if he called himself to the work. This is a work that God called him to. We see it in Galatians chapter 1 and verses 15 and 16, where Paul talks about his plan for him and God's plan for him. He says, but when he, that's God, who had set me apart before I was born, you see that? Paul says, God set me apart before I was born. He set you apart too. But when he set me apart before I was born and he called me by his grace, he was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul recognizes that God had a plan for him before he was ever born, before the creation of this world. And, and it was all in what Paul called in our text. Here's if we go back to, to our verse. It's all in what he calls the stewardship of God. And then interesting, he says, I'm a minister according to the stewardship of God. It's not the only time that Paul has mentioned this. In another place in Corinthians, he's saying, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. It's similar to the words of Jeremiah when he tells about fire in his bones that are just burning. He's got to let it out. He says, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. And then he goes on to say, for if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But, but not if, he said, but, but if not my own will, he said, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. It's interesting in Corinthians that Paul speaks of entrusted with a stewardship. And in our text, he speaks of the stewardship of God. Paul saw the gospel, Paul saw the church as belonging to God. It's not ours. None of us are the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. And, and Paul sees that the gospel is, is Jesus's. It's, it, the body is Jesus. He's the head. And he appoints us to different places within the body and gives us different gifts. It's a stewardship. Just as we're given different things financially and we spend that as stewards, we're gifted in different ways. And spiritually, God gifts us, and it's a stewardship to use the gift that God has given to you. I'm going to repeat that. God has called each of us to serve his body. We're simply stewards, every one of us. We're stewards of the body of Christ. And, and so let me just stop real quick and ask you, how's your stewardship? Now, usually when I have to say that, I'm talking about finances, and that's important. But how's your stewardship of using your gifts? How are you doing and using the gifts that God has given to you within the church? Have you found that thing that God's called you to do? Parents, as, as you deal with your students and you're trying to get them to a place and find a career, don't start with how much money they'll make. Start with what has God called you to do? What has God gifted you to do? 
We all know you can make all the money in the world, but if you're outside of God's calling, you're not going to be happy. So let's see what it is that God's called us to do in every stage of our life. What's God called you to do? You, you may be through a certain stage, and, and you're in the next stage of life. What's God calling you to do? How's your stewardship? If you, if you think of those Russian dolls for a moment, uh, God's man is that outer, outer layer, but he, he begins to open it and go to layer after layer after layer because then he moves us to God's revelation. God's revelation. Look at what he says. He says, to make the word fully known. He said, the stewardship that God's given to me as an apostle, the stewardship that God's given to me as a preacher, the stewardship that God's given to you and whatever it is you're doing, that stewardship is for the purpose of making God's word fully known. It's all about God's word. We're called to make disciples. Every single one of us are called to be disciples who make disciples. And as a disciple, what we're trying to do is know God's Word. And as disciplers, we're trying to teach others to make the Word of God fully known. He continues that in verse 28. He says, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's our goal. That everybody who's in our church comes to know the Word of God, and everyone begins to grow till they are mature in Christ. Think of it in terms of child development. A child is conceived, and, and the mother, because of certain reasons, begins to realize that there's something wrong or something good, and, and she knows that she has a child within her. So she goes to the, maybe she does the test and gets and finds out for sure she's pregnant and, and she goes and sees the doctor and that doctor's specific goal is to help her in this neonatal period of her life to get her from, from that point all the way up to the birth and, and he or she walks with them with vitamins and heartbeats and sonograms and ultrasounds and, and all those things that they do and, and they're testing and they're helping and making sure the baby is growing and doing all that they're supposed to do and then sooner or later it comes time and, and that baby is, is born most of the time in the hospital for some people in, in the parking lot, you know, whatever happens. But they, they have that baby, and, and, and there's a whole other set of people there. Now, the doctor still comes in. I, I've been there for four of them, okay? The doctor doesn't do a whole lot. <laughs> now, Bill's over there, but that OBGYN is just a catcher. That nurse does everything. She does everything, and in one of our, our, the doctor, literally, you can tell he'd been sleeping. It was in the middle of the morning, and he comes up, and he's been sleeping. I'm like, man, wash your face at least before you do this, but, but he's there, and, and he comes in, and what happens? That nurse is bringing you up to that point. That doctor takes that baby, and then he does, or she does something. He, he takes the baby and hands it off. I'll be honest, to people I didn't even know were in the room. I've been focusing, breathe, breathe, you know, doing all the things I'm supposed to do and, and holding Kim's hand and doing all those things. And, and I'm like, where did they get here? But what does he do? He hands them to another set of nurses. They begin to do all the things they're supposed to do. You really think they're trying to kill the baby. Turn it upside down, slapping it, doing all those things, sucking stuff out, cleaning it, doing it. The baby begins to cry. They chest all, check all the vitals and then they give them to mama, daddy. 
we usually give them back to the people who are in the nursery part of it. And that's a whole nother set of doctors. And then they come and finally they will you out and it's on you. You got them home. And you begin to nurture and bring them up stage by stage. But still the medical, there's, there's doctors who are just there for pedi- pediatricians who are there for babies. Then they get to a certain point and they become young adults and they go to other doctors and they continue. It's just a process in the medical world. But it's also a process in the spiritual world. We want people to come to Christ early. Right now, down in the nursery, there are people who are rocking your babies and holding your babies and feeding your babies goldfish and singing songs to your babies and talking to your babies. They're doing it so you can be in here and so we can hear the sermon. And and, and they're doing those things, but also... We're ministering to those children on their level. They begin to grow and they go to each different stage. They go through each of the children's stages of of our ministry inside our church. And they go to elementary and then from treehouse into elementary age and illuminate. And and then they go into the student ministry and college ministry and and beyond college all the way to senior adults. We, We teach the same thing with the same goal. Every single one of them, we're teaching them to be mature in Christ. And then sometimes people come in the middle of the process. Maybe they're 20 or 30, 40 years old. They come to Christ. And we do the same thing. We disciple them. We teach them how to study the Bible and teach them the Word of God and bring them up. And and there's somebody there, just like in the medical world, for each stage, there's got to be somebody there. And here's what I want to say to you. And if we're going to be the church, we've got to get in our minds that our goal is not just to get a big crowd and our goal is not just to get people baptized, but our goal is to make people fully mature in Christ. And every one of us has to be in that process. None of us are excluded. Some of you are really good at sharing the gospel, and some of you are really good at teaching the deep things of God. And some of you are good at taking new children and new believers, and some of you, but, but I want to challenge you that, that we've got to be in the process. In a church our size... It shouldn't be that our children's minister looks at me and says, my biggest struggle is getting people to volunteer. We ought to be signing up to do that. In your worship guide, there's a list of things, of needs inside our children's department. We ought to meet those needs. I know you like your Sunday school class, but maybe you've been fed so long that it's time for you to feed some children or some other young adults. Or some older adults in some other Sunday school class. Maybe it's time for you to quit being fed and step out and start feeding. I know you like this worship time. I love this worship. I love the first worship too. But but soon we're having a special needs class that's going to be during this worship time. Maybe you'll give up a couple cons to go up there and help. Maybe you can help illuminate during the first service and be here another hour for the day. I don't know. I'm just saying, what is God calling you to do? In our love and care ministry, where we cook and deliver and all the other things that are going on in our church, how can we get involved and use the gifts that God's called us? We, we find God's revelation to make his word fully known. And then as we think about this, he says, here's what I'm trying to know. I'm trying to make the word fully known 
And then in verse 26, he says, The mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. The mystery. Now, don't get overwhelmed by that word. We use the word mystery as some kind of spooky thing. Oh, it's a mystery. But that's not the way the Bible uses the word. When Paul uses this word mystery, what he is saying is, is that there was something that wasn't known that is now known. It was a mystery, but it's not a mystery anymore. It's known now. There was revelation given in the Old Testament that wasn't fully known, and it wasn't known until the cross, until Pentecost. If you want to read more about it, read Ephesians 3, 1 through 9. But, but it's interesting in Ephesians 3, 6, he says, This mystery, same word, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. God had a plan. Even after creation, he promised that there would be one who would be born of woman who would crush the head of the serpent. God had a plan, and he began to reveal it. He revealed it to Noah through a covenant, but, but he specifically began to reveal it to a man named Abram. Abram is the man we know as Abraham, and Abraham had no children. And God says, you're going to have sons, and there's going to be people who will come through you who will bless the entire world. Well, God, had, God gave Abraham a son in his old age, and, and his son was Isaac. And Isaac had his two sons, Jacob and Esau, and God chose Jacob out of them, out, out of the two. And Jacob had 12 sons. We know them as the 12 tribes of Israel. And they began to populate and began to grow. And, and God gave to them the covenants, and God gave to them the promises, and, and God gave to them worship. And, and all of that, everything you read that God gives to Moses all the way through the Old Testament and the prophets, it's all pointing to the cross. It's all pointing to Jesus. It's all pointing to the coming of the Messiah, and a mystery is that God's going to step out of just dealing with the Jewish people, and he's going to bring in everyone through faith in Christ. It's the mystery that's been fulfilled, that Jews and Gentiles alike can come to Christ and be a part of the people of God. It was revealed to the apostles. They wrote it down in the New Testament, and it all leads to God's glory. God's glory, God's man, God's revelation, God's glory. You see it, look at it in verse 27. He says, to them, who's that? To the saints, to them God has chosen, God chose to make known, look at how he tries to just express this, to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. You see what he's trying to do? He's, he's trying to show you how rich this is and what's the mystery. He tells us, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What's the mystery? Say it with me. Christ in you, the hope of glory. One more time. What's the mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ comes to live inside of us. The one who came incarnate to this world and entered into this world in a human body, the one who created it all, came into a human body, went back into heaven, and through his spirit comes to live inside of us. And Christ in you is the hope of glory. It's, it's, just write it down again. Union with Christ. 
Christ is in us. We're brought together. We're made one with him. Christ in us and, and us in Christ. Paul uses this little phrase, in Christ, over and over and over again. We're, we're separated today by identities. We're separated in Alabama by sports identities. We're separated in our country by political identities. We're separated. But listen, before you're a Republican or before you're a Democrat, before you're a Southerner or a Northerner, before you're an American, before you're anything, if you are in Christ, you are a Christian. And being in Christ is your identity. Paul uses some version of that phrase, in Christ, 33 times in his letters. What does that mean? Paul David Tripp wrote a book. I'm reading it with a group of guys. It's, it's called, Do You Believe? And in the book, he deals with what it means to be in Christ. Listen to this. It's a long quote, but listen. He said, all of the graces of the gospel flow to us because we're in Christ. We're justified because we're in Christ. We're, we're being sanctified because we're in Christ. We're loved as adopted children because we are in Christ. We're forgiven because we're in Christ. We have every need supplied because we are in Christ. We are object of the Father's love because we're in Christ. We have eternal hope because we're in Christ. Union with Christ is the fountainhead from which flows the Christian's every spiritual blessing. Union with Christ is the fountainhead from which flows the Christian's every spiritual blessing. Repentance, faith, pardon, justification, adoption, sanctification, perseverance, and glorification. All of that's because you're in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, none of that is yours. In Christ, that's the hope of glory, that Christ is in us. But he goes on to mention God's message. God's message, he, he continues, he says, look at what he says, Him we proclaim. We proclaim Jesus. He's the focus of our hope. He's the focus of our life. He's the focus of our teaching. Him we proclaim. And look what he says. Warning everyone and teaching everyone. Now it could be that what he's saying is, is there's two different types of proclamation. We warn those who are outside of Christ. We warn those who are lost. And, and Paul's trying to say, I try to awaken them to the need for Christ. Or maybe he's saying, I teach those who are saved. I warn those who are lost. I teach those who are saved. But I think what he's saying is, whether you're lost or saved, I'm trying to make you mature in Christ. And I warn you and I teach you. And every time we open the Bible, so get this, every time, whether you're standing in the pulpit or sitting at a desk or sitting at a coffee table or sitting with your children, feeding them grits in the morning, our job is to make everyone by exhorting them, by teaching them, by encouraging them, bringing everyone with all wisdom to maturity in Christ. Now, wisdom was the subject of Paul's prayer in chapter 1, verse 9. He said they needed wisdom to understand it. 
And here he says, I need wisdom to teach it. We need them both. Pray for me that I would have wisdom to teach every week. Pray for your Sunday school teacher that they have wisdom for your missions leaders, for your discipleship leaders, whoever's teaching you the Word of God. Pray that they'd have wisdom to teach it and pray for yourself that you'd have wisdom to hear it. Again, the purpose that we may present everyone. I think this presenting is at the judgment seat. There's a burden that comes with being a pastor, that comes with being a teacher, that comes with being a discipler. Our goal is to present people at the judgment seat, but sure in Christ. That's what we work for. That's what we toil for. There's one more thing. I said it in the first service, and let me say it here. If you ever meet anyone who says, oh, I read the Bible, I got everything out of it. Just chalk that up as foolishness. I don't know how many times I've read through the Bible. I don't know how many times I read through Colossians. I read it day after day after day leading up to preaching this series. And, and I was reading it and reading it. But just a couple of days ago, after having read it, I don't know how many times in the last year, something just jumped out at me that, that I didn't notice before. It's a living and active book. Look what he says. For this I toil, struggling. Now that word struggling, we'll see it again, but, but it literally in, in Greek is, is the word that we get our English word, agonize. So Paul says, for this I toil. I'm agonizing. Paul agonizes to do what God's called him to do. He's straining, he's toiling to present people mature in Christ. He's, he's in prison now because of it. He's been beaten. His back is marked and scarred because of the beatings that he's endured. He agonizes. He toiled. He struggled. He suffered. But look at what he says. This is what jumped out at me. For this I toil, struggling, with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. That's not what you expect, is it? You expect him to say, I'm toiling, I'm struggling with all my energy. But he doesn't say with all my energy. He says with all his energy. That's the last thing is God's energy. God's power. God has made his power available to us. We will never be omnipotent. But we have everything we need to do what God calls us to do. We work and we seek to accomplish what God has called us to do. And when we're in Christ and Christ is in us, His energy and His power become at work inside of us. It's, 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 in it we toil and in it we struggle. We're putting forth effort, but we're doing it. And as we're toiling and struggling, God's giving us energy to do His will. This is Philippians 2. This is Philippians 2, 12 and 13. He says, Therefore, my beloved, is, if you always obey, not, not now, not only, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Look at this. He says, you work out. That's literally what he says. You work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay? If you want to look at that verse here, you work out and think about it in Colossians. You toil, you agonize with fear and salvation and trembling. You do this for it is God who works in you. It's God who works in you for his good pleasure, to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
God's working in us as we're saved, and he expects us to work out. He expects us to do it. What does it mean? Think about it. Just take this whole thing that we've been talking about. God calls each of us to a task. We're on this earth for his glory. He reveals his will to us in his word. You and I have no greater purpose. Hear me. Hear this. Don't turn down. Don't tune out right now. Listen, we have no greater purpose than to know God and to make God known. That's why we exist. To know God and to make God known. His glory is now in you because Christ is in you. And you are in Christ, and, and you're a disciple who's growing in him, coming mature in him, trying to make others mature in him. And it's the reason we exist. We go in his power. But his power will cost you everything you have. You go in his power, and you have to struggle and sometimes agonize to be holy to help others to be holy, to be obedient. His power is there. But I want you to hear me. We hear a lot about the power of God, but I want you to hear this. God's power is there. Everything you need to do, what God's called you to do is there. But you have to step out in faith. Peter couldn't walk on water till he got out of the boat. All the other disciples probably made fun of Peter because he sunk. But Peter could say, I got out of the boat. I walked on water. Did you? We have to get out of the boat in faith. If you are somehow waiting for all the planets to align and the star to come shine down on you and the voice of God to say, this is what I want you to do, it's not going to happen. It's not that he can't do that. It's just not the way he does it. Is God calling you to ministry? Maybe not to preach, but to teach, to be a greeter, to be an usher. Do you know that when we send out cards to people who visit our church, and we say, what's the one thing you noticed first and the one thing that made the biggest impact on you? It's never my preaching. <laughs> it's never the music. You know what it is every time? The greeters in the parking lot. Do you know how vital that is to our church? That somebody's there to greet you and tell you how to get to where you need to go? That you can get a cup of coffee and be told where to go. You can, around here it's careful to being told where to go. But yeah, I don't know why my brain thinks that way. But do you know how vital that is? There are so many ministries in our church that are left undone because we think, well, I got to teach to be a ministry. No. What's God calling you to do? Is he, is he calling you to missions? Maybe just to teach missions? Is God calling you to, to start something? Is he calling you to, to help on Wednesday night meals? Is he calling you to, to help that young parent be able to do something for a moment so that they can, they can focus and somebody's taking care of their kids? Is, is there something God's calling you to do? Again, if you're waiting for the planets to align and the voice of God to come, it's just probably not going to happen. 
dig into the word, pray, get yourself where you need to be and listen to what God says and then step out. Talk to counselors, see what people say. Get a feeling for, for the body of Christ. Now make sure you talk to people who, who listen to the Lord. If I really felt like there was something God was calling me to do outside of what I'm doing now, I'd sit down with people like Keith and sit down with people like Paul and Doug DeVillany and others that I meet with. And I would ask him, hey, what do you think about this? Could you pray about this? Obviously, I talked to my wife about that. What is it that God's calling you to do? And, and what can we do to step out in that? You, here's the thing. When you find out this is what God wants from me and you step out in faith and you begin to do what God's calling you to do and you struggle and you will struggle as you struggle, suddenly somewhere in that process, the power of God comes in. And this, uh, it's a glorious way to live. I told the first service, I know people sometimes wonder, well, you get to be a preacher. I'm sure that's just easy for you. You just don't know. The only person who understands the struggle I have is my wife. I'm a naturally shy boy. I know you don't believe that. But I'm still the kid who doesn't want to give a speech in class and doesn't want to get in front of anyone. I don't know if you know how much it takes out of me to get up here Sunday after Sunday. Sometimes it's so easy. Sometimes I walk into the pulpit like today, not, I just couldn't wait to preach this text. But there's rarely a Sunday I go home that I don't feel like I've run a marathon. It's not the physical exertion. It's the spiritual burden. It's not easy. But I can't imagine doing anything else. What I wanted to do was what Huff does back there. I wanted to coach football. That's what I wanted to do. But God had another plan. I would have been the worst football coach ever. We'd still be running the old eye. That's it. That's all I knew. But here's the thing. God began to just move in my mind. Brother Chumley's up there preaching and he starts dealing with a text and all of a sudden I'm starting to think about, well, I've done this right here and I start writing it down in the outline. Different points and different sermons and different things and it all begins to click and I'm thinking, why not God doing this? And, and one day, this is how God works. One day I'm in the shower on a Sunday afternoon because we still have Sunday afternoon church. I'm glad we don't anymore, but I'm there and I'm thinking, and, and y'all, louder than audible, God says, why do you think I'm giving you those sermons? Just like that. I'm about to graduate. I'm doing my student teaching. I've got a job lined up with my coach at Boaz High School. I'm going to teach, and I'm going to coach, and that's my life. And that December before I graduate, God says, why do you think I'm giving you those sermons? I got out of that shower, dried off, ignored the question, got dressed, got in my car, started it, looked back to drive out of the driveway, and God said, why do you think I'm giving you those sermons? And I stopped, 
I put the car in park and I said, God, do you use them? And he called this guy to be his pastor. Just like that. What did I do? I went to my pastor and I told him. And I began to share that story and I came before the church. And and you know what was interesting? All those old people who thought I was of the devil when I was in ninth grade moving to Boaz from Ocean Springs. Walked up and hugged my neck and said, John, I knew it. I saw it. They let me preach. They let me make mistakes. They loved on me. They brought me in. They they sent me to seminary. They sent me a check for $100 a month. And it always came right when I was eating tuna fish out of a can and I'd run out of dollar menu items on on Wendy's budget. I prepared, and I began to do it, and now I'm here. What's God calling you to do? The Bible says we're like a body. If we are all preachers, just be one big mouth. It'd be like me riding in my car with my youngest daughter the other day, and I thought, you said more words in the last five minutes than I said all day. Not on Sundays, but all day. It'd be just one big mouth, but that's not what we are. We're a body. And you might be that pinky. And you think you have no significance. Tell the hand the pinky's not important when you cut it off. Church, here's all I'm going to say to you. We'll never be the church we're supposed to be until all of us know what we're supposed to do, and we do it. Whatever it is that God's called you to do, whatever that is, you've got to find it and do it. And we as a church will help you get in that groove and grow and be what God's called you to be. Amen? I know I'm out of time. I'm just going to ask Kim to come and play she always has her best invitation song when I'm going to do this. I don't know what she has, but, but today we're just going to play. She's got my favorite invitation song. All I have is Christ. And so um, I want you to bow your heads for a moment. I'll give you a lot to digest. And all I'd like for you to do for the next few moments is ask the Lord a question. Lord, what is it you want me to do? What is it you're calling me to do? Many of you may never know just how instrumental, for example, Paul Miller was with the Alabama Children's Home in our state. God called him and God gifted him and he used him in a mighty way. And it's one of the best ministries our convention has. There's another stage in his life now and and he has asked, "What's, what's God, what are you calling me now? God's called many of you in this area of life. You're you're in a retirement state, and I understand. But what's God calling you to do in the retirement state? Keith Moore's going to be 70 tomorrow. God's still using him. What's God calling you to do? Where's God want you to work? 
Here's a way to figure it out. What's that little thing you keep saying, man, the church sure ought to do this. They ought to have this class or they ought to have this ministry. Maybe that's God making your eyes open to the need. And you need to do it. I'll help you. Tim, I'll help you. Mark and Chris, Kim, Ronnie, Tammy, all of us will help you. The ladies in the office will help you. They'll help you get to that place. Just let us. Lord Jesus, what are you calling me to do? Father, I come before you. I lift up my brothers and sisters here today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for how plain it was today. I thank you for your calling. And God, I pray that you would let us all see that we're all called. Forgive us when we make the pastor's call seem like it's high and above. It's, it's a calling like all of us have. We all have a calling. It's like in sports, we, we focus on that running back or that quarterback, but they wouldn't give it far without the big guys up front. And there's some people here today who just need to block and open some holes. They just need to be there. Maybe it's just this Wednesday night service, may, serving in, in the mills. Maybe it's some other area. But you're calling them, and, and they know it. So would you make it clear, because there's no more glorious way to live than living in your power. I thank you for this church. I, I'm thankful for the privilege of being the pastor. I don't want to be anywhere else. So God, as we walk this stage together, help us to not cruise, but to hammer down following your will, making everyone mature in Christ. That's our goal in Jesus' name. I want to thank you for being here. A couple of things, and we're going to wrap up. One is if you're interested in a small group, um, Tim Gold will be right out there. He can tell you adults about a class. We started a new class today, a Spanish-speaking class. And if you know some folks who, who speak Spanish only or that's their main mother tongue, please let them know the class is going to be taking place. Israel will be teaching that class. Tim, it's going to take him a little longer to get out there. He just turned 60 this week. So happy birthday to Tim. So Tim, why don't you go ahead and start moving that way and give him some time. Um, 60 years old. Just so y'all know, yeah, happy birthday, Tim. Just so y'all know, next month your student minister turns 60, and y'all need to really give him a hard time about that, okay? But... um. Um, <laughs> there he is. Um, our ushers will be at the door. Listen to me. This is the first time in years that we started the first few weeks on budget. Don't mess that up, okay? <laughs> Let's give. Let's make sure we meet the budget. Take that $10 challenge, $10 extra from everyone will help us meet the budget and go over and we can do the missions we're called to do. I'll be right down here. If you'd like to talk to me, I'd love to talk to you about it. Don't forget the Wednesday night's coming up. Kenny and Kathy, um, could you just wave your hands? They're going to be cooking. And Julie, right back there. Julie, could you? Want you two and Julie, I know you love this, Julie. Stand up. Um, and Kenny and Kathy, will y'all stand up? These are the folks who will be cooking. If you want to volunteer with them, talk to them. Okay?
And if you're really good at cooking like that in big crowds, able to cook for 100, 150 people, let me know. And we can get you on that fourth week and get you the volunteers. I'll quit talking. We do have to put the chairs up. God bless you. Have a great week.